Hello and welcome to So Bad It's Good, the podcast that, after spending four months in quarantine, uh, has decided that Jack Torrance handled it pretty well. So for today's episode, we're doing documentaries. Back to life, back to reality this week. Uh, a big thanks to anyone who keeps listening to us um, and likes our stance on the So Bad It's Good movies. Uh, this week, uh, I'll be your host and with me, um, as always, is my friend Ash. Hello. Right, so we're mic'd up, the cameras are on, the boom hovers above our heads, um, and this week we're going to be looking in to the wonderful world of the documentaries. <laughs> so, episode six, and if you know, we've been covering everything from disasters, actions, um, and even sequels, but now we're covering on documentaries. Did you know, for example, that the first documentary came out in 1922 about Eskimos and Inuits and the hard life they lead? Since then, we've had landmark documentaries like Grey Gardens right up to this year's instant lockdown classic Tiger King on Netflix. Um, and, docu and documentaries on Netflix have really shown uh, the scope of trash that we're willing to look at. It's no longer this hard, gritty reality and we're a lot more talking about the uh, insane lives some people lead. And obviously, there's some amazing, great crusading documentaries being made all the time about political evils, animal rights, racial discrimination. But if you've clicked on, the things that catch our interest aren't those things. Our favourite documentaries are all about those that take the cheap cameras and small crews into the subcultures you didn't even know existed and make you cringe with embarrassment. So, at So Bad It's Good, we love nothing more than an unflinching look at the failing visionary, an outsider hero, someone on the wrong side of the mainstream, which is why we're excited about the movie we'll be focusing on this week. It's a fairly obscure one, and probably one that you might not know, but hopefully by the end uh, you'll enjoy it as much as we did when we first saw it about two years ago. Um, and it's, it's still now to this day uh, a frame of ref reference between me and Ash. But first, let's trespass on illegal land and infiltrate the casting couch. Casting couch. Casting couch. <laughs> um, in the past uh, few weeks, it's been easy. We've just made up a bunch of blockbuster movies um, that kind of sound like the right one. The rules have changed, though, um, as we've come into the documentaries episode. We're going to stick back to reality, uh, trying to pull something that you wouldn't see out of place either on some low-budget Channel 4 TV uh, episode in the late hours of the evening or on TLC, probably. Uh, maybe it'd be picked up by Netflix now, but who knows? So, Ash, have you got our casting couch? Yeah, yeah, through? in a bowl this week. Oh, bowl, wow, upgrade. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay. I think you have watched this by now, I think. Return to Grey Garden, <laughs> the seance. The seance. <laughs> the seance. Oh. Grey Gardens. So there you go. That's uh... just to, so we've got Grey Gardens there, uh, a classic. Uh, one, I think, yeah, we've well, I only watched recently anyway, but really loved it. Mm. Um, and it's yeah, that's interesting because that's very naturally comic, isn't it? Like there's nothing particularly forced about that. You just happen to land on these very very odd people. Yeah, it's it's an interesting documentary, and I think it's it's one that. It's found its way into pop pop culture, um, especially with mm -hmm. with with like the drag community, um, which you know with with the um, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, there was a, a bunch of people who've done yeah, like yeah. their impersonations of Little Edie. 
but yeah, that's uh, that's this week's casting couch. Stay tuned for the rest of the episode to uh, to hear what Ash and I have to come up with. Time for the part of our show where we have a general look at your standard documentary hooks and cliches. We've landed on the idea of playing it like a drinking game, which uh, is a suitably compatible drink and try to go to. So, uh, Ash, want to start us off? I'll I'll go for. Let's see. This is a drink I had too much of the other night, um, brought on by a, a Greek neighbour. So okay. I, I'll say a few shots of raki, Greek, yeah, liqueur, um, for an interview conducted through a door that's still on the latch, <laughs> or the little, you know, the little lock and chain thing, because uh, yeah, quite often, yeah. like. I guess the subject of documentaries is either not interested or a recluse or literally has wants nothing to do with any sort of um, documentary version of their life. And so usually you get like the person or people who know them sort of hovering behind doors, like, who is it? Who is it? Um, mm. And I think that's quite a staple. And there's, al- there's always a cameraman there in hope that the door is going to swing open <laughs> and you're going to get like this... <laughs> magnificent um thing i watched a really good because th- th- this jumped into my mind and then i started to think think link it up and go yeah i've seen this loads of times i watched one called um it's called shut up little man okay and it was great that's on prime so you can get it um if you've got it it's n- no extra charge and it was about these um these in the 80s these lads two lads moved into like a really cheap I think they were like art students, something like that. Moved into like a really cheap, rundown, crappy apartment in LA. And within the first week of being in this apartment, they noticed that their next door neighbours were these two raving, ranting drunks called Peter and Raymond. And they like lived, um, I think they either slept all day or drank all day or something. But by the time night came, post midnight, they'd just be like these really funny but also like really sharp vile aggressive like slanging matches mm-hmm. one of them was i think one of the this piece of fellow was gay and the fellow who he lived with raymond for like 20 years was a violent homophobe <laughs> so you just have these like <laughs> horrific i don't ask me why they were together or and one of the the insults that the, the gay fella kept on launching at the other guy was shut up little man shut up little man that was all that was his big put down and it was it, what was interesting. I mean, that's the whole dynamic of them was was one thing, but the other thing it was like it was a, basically a documentary about you know um, basically what viral meant before we had YouTube mm. and everything like that. So these these two uh, neighbours ended up literally recording them through the window. They like stuck a mic out the window, put it against their front door or their window, and recorded them for two years. And they recorded them the arguments mm. on these tapes. And uh, just like circulated them, and, and they they just went like wildfire. At first, it was like an underground thing, like lots of underground magazines and comic book artists were fascinated by them. But it got to the stage where there was like film projects, like celebrities were being interviewed who loved the Peter and Raymond tapes, and it was just really oh, interesting. Wow. But one person that they tried to track down for that was someone who who was. <laughs> do you count uh, when they're behind the uh, the kind of gauze door that usually is like? <laughs> yeah. uh... So they've got a front door. Yeah, but yeah they've got that sort of mosquito <laughs> net thing. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, oh, definitely. They lump them in, have a racky if you, yes, also spot someone behind some sort of like uh, beekeeper's gauze. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I'm going to say a, a measure of Kahlua. Um, oh, yeah. For me. Um, on extreme close up of very uninteresting things. Usually, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Usually, um, it will be the cassette tape as it's going round. Um, as yeah. it's moving round, it'll be telling you, you know, oh, you'll hear the audio and then you've got the cassette tape. But it might be, um, like to kind of establish this this person or whoever they're interviewing going about some really mundane activity, like mm. tidying away the dishwasher. And, but it will never be it will never be a proper shot where you can see them. It will be like super close close up on their hands as they're moving stuff into the into the cupboards. Yeah. And it will yeah. be like they'll be kind of like overexposed or something just to try and make it interesting. And usually the the audio is playing over the top. I think you'll find that like a lot when it's very much like you the crime documentaries that you see usually have that that sense of like going around and establishing the relationships with, with different people. And then they'll, they'll, they'll do these like establishing mm. shots. And it's almost, it's, I always find when I watch it, it's almost trying to show how tragic these people's lives are. Like it, it's never to be like they're having a great time. It's like, you know, they're like everyone, if you have a dishwasher, you have to unload your dishwasher. There's nothing tragic about that, but it's always done with this like gray filter and this like quite mm. depressing, Back, backdrop and it's like as if it's like the most depressing thing in the world to that's true clean well up. sometimes i think it's like you know all the murders and the serial killings are like so horrific and uh, and disgusting that they need to show just like an ounce of real normal life like people getting on mm -hmm. with like there was loads of the stuff that you're talking about in uh, you know making a murderer yeah there's yeah. loads of just like the avery's going about the day Dolores usually making food. Yeah, um, usually. She, I remember there was one where she was like, well, in one, the cooker broke. And she <laughs> had to, she, she, which was dramatic compared to what she was doing before. And then. Uh, where the director's like, where the director's like, just pretend to keep on cooking. She's just got this frying pan <laughs> yeah, over the yeah. broken cooker. <laughs> yeah. Nothing, just raw burger, just nothing. <laughs> And she was the the dad the dad Alan who was he was like quite a like a gruff guy and she just yeah. kept on barking at him really like Alan Alan the cooker's gone Alan um, and he was deaf I think in the in real life so he wasn't he wasn't listening and then there was another one where she was making soup and I remember talking about this a mate that the next day. And it was just like you could see it was just a pot of boiling water. Like there was no, 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 like stock or veg. I don't even think there was veg. She was just like the stock of a pan of boiling water. And then uh, like piece de resistance was just a sprinkle. I think it was like ramen noodles in it or something like that with a hand. I'm going to go for something I've noticed in a few documentaries and I'll say take maybe this is the drink that you usually recommend really i think brandy brandy by the fire i think you've offered it a few times i, think. I said it once i think but okay right okay it's uh, every episode there's uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 bullshit fuck off okay like <laughs> <laughs> absolute baloney there's um no yeah brandy by the fire because this is this is a quite a meditative point this i think i'm going to call this accidental philosophy right 
Okay. So what, what I mean by that is you'll be, there'll be a, again, mundane scene of the ilk that you're talking about. Probably someone driving a, a, a car, maybe someone having a, a coffee mm. in the morning. And they'll be talking about, in context, the conversation will be quite mundane, but they'll come out with some line that like one of like Plato could have written. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like, so, so they'll they'll be just talking like, yeah, well, usually the newspaper probably comes. I'd say maybe twenty to possibly quarter to eight. The wounds of life are always written in the eyes. Just <laughs> like what the fuck? Where did that come from? <laughs> there was. I'm trying to like some great examples in uh, in a documentary I watched. I did end up watching American Movie. The one that I've been talking oh, about. Oh yeah, I'm yeah, gonna yeah. buy it. We're gonna watch it. You're gonna love it. Okay. But there was loads of moments in that, yeah, where he's just driving around or just doing one day and like watching the Super Bowl or something like that. And then he would come out with a line about like film being like this like personal projection of the night or, or just just lines like that. And you go, how did that? Where did that come from? Like you've just slipped that in there. And I think there's tons of that in yeah. those type of documentaries which are about like not like the big political stuff and the big like eco documentaries or whatever, but those documentaries that you're talking about where it's usually about a slightly eccentric character, slightly eccentric guy, and the documentary is just about them. And they just come out with these, like every now and then dotted through them, there'll be the, like these pearls of wisdom. Yeah, I know what you mean. And it's always like, it's always, it's like them talking about what's going on and then they surmise it in this really poetic way. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's just like, yeah, so uh, he, he murdered three women, but uh, I guess, you know, the heart is, is hungry for some people and it can never, it can never be sated. <laughs> and you're just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 wow, wow, okay. I, I yes, do forget he's talking about a cannibal, that was really poetic, I don't know, write that <laughs> on a card. Um, I love that, no, I absolutely love that. The other thing I was going to say, maybe this is a, a kind of like shot of whiskey, it's um, like some shocking mm -hmm. kind of like jaw to the floor moment, just revealed dead, <laughs> just revealed dead pan to the screen. <laughs> I, think, I know where this is going. Well, one of Ashley and I, well, there's two, isn't there? It's the Fire Festival documentary. There's two, yeah. There's which two, is, yeah. is, if you have not seen it, you need to watch the Fire Festival documentary. It's, it's yeah, the most it's phenomenal crazy. thing of just nonsense that you've seen. And then you've got Andy King, isn't it? When he asked, <laughs> it's that's the guy, the events guy, the events guy who who is told to quote take one for the team and um, <laughs> go to the is it is it kind of like the the docks or something? <laughs> and yeah, they're getting a shipment of um, like Evian or something like that. I think it is a big import of of water, bottled water. But they find out that the head of the customs is is gay and Andy King is gay, so they're like. Go to the head of customs. What? Well, was the head of customs gay? Because I don't, I don't think I can't remember that being established. I, I just thought they were like, because that was my issue. I think, why are they so confident that this is going to work? <laughs> so, uh, Ash, you're making any decent progress on Casting Couch, Grey Gardens Two. <laughs> uh grayer gardens yeah there's yeah the seance well to be honest i'm pleased with it because i do love the original in a, in a serious way and um 
it sort of plays into my theory about the original anyway because I'm still not wholly convinced that the two EDs aren't ghosts. <laughs> so I think that the part of me thinks that like Grey Gardens is just the first paranormal activity. Right. Well, okay. Fair. They've gone to this house to maybe film. Uh, that's probably the truth. They've gone to the house to film as was intended backstory about Jackie Kennedy on whatever show they had. They've probably done like a bit of a tour of the house and then just on camera, they've just caught these two women. And it's like, you know, when you get those pictures of um, Bigfoot and things like that, or pictures of those, remember that famous one, like the fairies in the garden, yeah. which was which was a, a forgery, but people thought it was real fairies, that type of thing. So I still think there's a grain of truth in the seance element. Well, the first thing that springs to my mind about it is um, how people try to capitalise on famous documentaries or famous things that happen. Like you'll get everyone, mm. everyone and their mum trying to like throw their hat in the ring with some documentaries. And I, I can imagine that okay. this would have been um, this would have been like perfect for uh, a Derek Acora special back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like it. <laughs> He could have actually been trying to actually speak to uh, Edie. Edie, Edie, Edie. Definitely, Derek. Oh, can we please get Derek? The, the most haunted crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah most yeah, haunted yeah, meets yeah. Grey Gardens. Yeah. I think that's 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 a, yeah, already that's a brilliant. The vibe, yeah, definitely. Because the the actual Grey Garden, apparently after they vacated it, it was. Um, I think some big top newspaper editor, like the guy who. Yeah, he uh, he took it over and and remade it, didn't and he? And spruced it, yeah, spruced it all up. So that's another debate we'll have to have. Like the house is not going to be in its original sort of raccoon pissed state. I wonder if we could get like Llewellyn Bowen to come in and make the house because you know maybe ghosts don't want to, you know, ghosts like the house that they knew. If you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm not an expert on ghosts, Ash. I don't know about you. Like... <laughs> so ghosts. So if you they've renovated this place and it's got all like you know top skylights and like a home cinema and the EDs are going to turn up and go like, well, what's this? So the apparently ghosts like you know as it was they want to return to life as they lived it. So maybe we need to Bowen uh, and Bowen to come in to sort of like get the raccoons back in, get the 19 cats back in. And can you, can you imagine Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen doing anything other than doing like a free, a freestyle <laughs> stencil stencil? <laughs> so yeah, I've raccoon stenciled the bathroom. <laughs> and inevitably some raccoon piss. <laughs> now it's time for this week's feature movie. Kung Fu Elliot. Front and centre is someone who desperately wants to be Canada's answer to Chuck Norris. He's a true failed visionary and perhaps a morally corrupt person as well, but let's dig into that later. Um, I don't know how you want to start this one off, Ash, if you want to kind of give us our intro to the movie and we can uh, feed him from there, but uh, yeah. it is one of the movies that we have like, probably one of these, again, one of these foundational movies mm. that made us think about podcast and stuff way before yeah way before it even became like a personal habit as well so this was this was about two years ago I think you first showed me and it was only about maybe a year year and a half ago that we started making part of our routine like a Sunday morning 
shitty movie thing. So this this sort of like is is patient zero really. Um, yeah. And yeah, Kung Fu Elliot. It's I guess in the mold of for anyone who has seen American movie released in 1999 about two filmmakers trying to make a horror film uh, in Wisconsin. This is very similar mold documentary following a guy who, like Max said, wants to be Chuck Norris, wants to be Canada's martial arts guru, a martial arts movie icon, and mm. is doing it off his own bat. So mm-hmm. brief background to this guy. Apparently he's, uh, well, at first, and, and, and for a lot of the documentary at least, we're led to believe that he is a fairly top quality, decorated kickboxer, and, and karate mm-hmm. artist uh he's mm-hmm. one he's quite uh well regarded in, in this sort of scene in canada and he uses a lot of his spare time to make movies independent movies that yeah. he thinks is gonna is gonna make him so we sort of open on well if memory literally like the first shot of him is doing like karate on a hill then yeah so there's that then we then we oh then he gives a a large portion of the first bit of the documentary is chronicling his making of uh, blood fight which is his Mm -hmm. third film i think his first one was uh they killed my cat they killed my cat and then stalker Stalker and the hero was the second feature so we we find him he's talking into a mirror he's given like a Speech. Uh, looking back now, actually, I wonder if it's it's like some sort of imagined acceptance speech, or I, I don't know what it is. But he's given like a talk in, into this mirror, and he's saying like he's going to make this new movie, Blood Fight, and it's going to be. I think he says something like, "Good guys win and bad guys lose," which okay, that's the story of every film ever made. But no, <laughs> so that that's the big selling point of Blood Fight. Um, and part of the thing is, I think I think the, the the premise of which of Blood Fight. Let's quickly cover that off because it's it's the way it's done in the kind of movie is like you just see these scenes and these like you never you never get a coherent story. You just no. get like glimpses of the production of it. Um, but Blood Fight is, um, from what I can gather, a rip off of both Eye of the Tiger and Bloodsport, which I didn't think was possible considering Bloodsport was a rip off of Eye of the Tiger anyway. <laughs> But it's about it's about this underground fighting ring, and uh, Elliot White Lightning Scott, who is the uh, you know Kung Fu Elliot, the titular Kung Fu Elliot. He um, that's sort of story. So it's about like a, a, a kind of criminal underworld fighting ring where like only one man, one two men enter, one men leave type thing. And it's it's more about him confronting the mob boss responsible for yeah, it. Yeah, um, who's played by his friend. Blake Swicker. Blake Swicker. Yeah, good yeah. guy. I think one of the things about this is that, like, as a... I mean, it's also been debated about whether this is a genuine documentary or not, but I have a reason to believe that it is genuine, mm. um, which I can go into later. But the... P- part of why it's so ridiculous is that everyone fully believes in him. 
everyone around him is like fully invested mm. apart from one person fully invested in his vision and his desire to create these movies and thinks that they will like be elevated through the process of, of being in this movie and that kind of endorsement just feeds this guy's ego um and his vision of this movie um but yeah he's i, I suppose like we've got some primary characters here so you've got like uh, you've got uh, blake elliot's best friend you've got elliot and you've got Elliot's love interest, love, lover, Linda. not fiance yet, Linda Lum. Lum, yeah, I thought that was, yeah. It's fairly fragmented throughout uh, the whole documentary, actually. We, we, there's some big foundational scenes, uh, like the trip to China, which we'll come on to later, and, uh, and some other bits towards the end. But yeah, the, the first half is basically a jumble of Elliot trying to rally the troops, rally all of his mates together to film Blood Fight, and also intercutting with clips of his previous films, one of which The Stalker and The Hero. There's a scene which plays, it looks like it's filmed outside of maybe like a, an off license or something like that. <laughs> and there's a, a guy who's, I assume, is playing a bouncer. <laughs> Elliot comes up and says, uh, tries to get into the. Oh, why is that? Okay. Um, he tries to get in and the bouncer goes you're not on the list and Elliot goes here's my list <laughs> kapow punch to the face so the guy goes down and I don't know Elliot continues like beating him or something like that this is all filmed on probably one of the recurring things of this is that he films everything on a um, like a, just a, a digital camera like a basic digital really, camera just there's really no effort to like uh, he doesn't get like a like the guys in, like I say, American movie in 19, like that that guy genuinely had like, you know, those old sort of like 16 millimeter things. Yeah. And he was cutting tape and uh, film reels and things like that. No, th this is just digital camera, the type you take on like a, 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 a city break yeah. um, to film you probably in front of like the Pisa Tower, you know, doing that annoying like dickish yeah. thing that you like, you put, yeah, that, that's what you'd use that for. Um, he uses it for three feature films. So, oh yeah, so he goes, he's hitting this guy and the bouncer goes, he goes, he's, he's kicking, obviously he wants info out of this bloke. So kicking the shite out of him and he goes, all I know is oh, something about a parking garage on Main Street on Wednesday. And that's convenient because that's all I need to, to know as well. Um, so there's that. There's lots of scenes where we get lots of interesting glimpses into what Elliot regards as special effects because mm. you know obviously kung fu films action films that's i mean that's practically 80 percent of a good action film is is how good the effects are so we get his very 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 low budget take on that which involves yeah. mainly what look like roman candles from yeah sparklers and, stuff like and sparklers from a fireworks set yeah so there's a very there's it's later on in the movie i think you've pointed this out it's got to happen now there's a scene where he's filming a scene from Blood Fight where I'm assuming he's meant to be jumping out of a burning building. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And there's a, and so he's got it all set up. So he's got this like mattress. He's it's just on the ground floor. So he's got this mattress next to the window. Um, so he's obviously going to use perspective to make it look like he's falling deeper down. He's got all these like candles, uh, these Roman candles and sparklers and stuff like touching the rim of this window. Um, first point is that obviously all these sparklers, they, don't look, they have no resemblance to fire. I don't know any fire that I've ever seen, aside from one on a fireworks factory, <laughs> that, <laughs> that looks like this. Um, 
so he like lights them all up, but he's only got so much. He's obviously low, low budget. He doesn't have a job. Linda Lum is like a teaching assistant or something like that. Something um, like that, yeah. She finances the whole thing. She finances the whole thing. So very like shoestring budget. And uh, he, he kind of lights them all. And he does this brilliant thing where he throws himself out the window, lands on the mattress, rolls off the mattress, runs round the house again, and just does it. And just, just, just like, he tries to like, do as many laps as possible so he can get as many takes as possible. Yeah, and it yeah. is the funniest thing to see him just like jump out this window and then quickly run around again and then just jump out again and then quickly run around again. That was brilliant. The first time he does it as well, he puts he positions his his little Roman candles and his Catherine wheels and whatever shite he's got. He positions them in such a way that it's sort of he, he lights the first set. They're all taped up around this window and he sets them up and they're all firing in one direction. And he goes, oh, no, I can't do that. It's like, no, that, that'll burn me pants. So he has to literally wait for them to fizzle out then reposition them so they're slightly more like they're, they're pointing outwards and you can they're not going to really hurt him or whatever but yeah he, he even bottles out of this like one stunt yeah. the first time around he does want this one thing which i also love so then he kind of talk you hear about his opinions like his, his film influence he's got like this huge dvd collection of like mm, different action yes. movies and he's like you know uh, well one of the things i love that he says is like he's, he's got this real obsession with anything to do with asia especially like china oh, and japan well. Yeah. really like and, and that's kind of the reason why he's with linda like it's 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 a really weird thing he's absolutely obsessed with anything well he anything thinks he's Asian. part japanese well he says yeah he says at the beginning that yeah. he's part japanese anyway so he's, he's like speaking and he's like and he's like he's like saying you know oh like i'm i'm you know i, I think the best that the, the, the filmmakers that i'm really inspired by are, are japanese and 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 um, uh, chinese chinese filmmakers and he names a few and then he's just like but what I really have to say is that my favourite uh, favourite actor is Chuck Norris. <laughs> <laughs> that well-known yeah. Asian actor, yeah, Chuck yeah. Norris. <laughs> Collected, but it's weird. There's something about this film that I I can't imagine him watching films. If you know, there's mm. something like weirdly sort of soulless at the heart of Kung Fu Elliot. I think. That I can't imagine him even. He's the type of person who, like, I remember, I can't remember which writer it was. I think it was a poet, but I, remember, uh, I can't remember. So gave an interview and he said, quite often there'll be at, like book signings and he'll get someone come up and go, Oh, I'm a poet myself. And they go, Oh, great, great, that's really good. And he go, I've actually got like a little batch of poems here if you want to read them and he goes uh, you know out of politeness they go yeah sure who are you influenced by who's your big thing and he goes oh no i don't read it <laughs> i just i just write it yeah oh, oh no I, I'm, not, I'm not actually i don't bother actually reading poetry but i, I think i've got enough soul or, or whatever to, to actually do it yeah and I, that that's yeah. what he reminds i just can't imagine i just for him it's all about his own ego and his obsession. yeah it's always like, it's like i'm one of those few few filmmakers that has made more films than they've watched <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it, that, that's what i just think about him and, and I, I picked it up more time even though I do think it is really funny, I picked up more on this sort of like soulless sort of like, because he's basically the character, I mean, we may as well sort of character analyze him at this point. I mean, what type of person is this guy? I just see him as like a, 
a layabout, a complete sponge. Yeah. Uh, someone, okay, there is a vague artistic sense, I guess, because otherwise, you know, you wouldn't be bothered making films. But for probably for all the wrong reasons, he's the, he's the type of guy who thinks that, well, a movie star must get laid a lot, therefore that's yeah. what I do. Yeah. As opposed to, oh, that would be good to produce like a really critically acclaimed piece of work. Well, like the thing is, as Steve thinks it, so first of all, he meets Linda Lum on like a dating website. Um, yes, and Linda is a bit older than him. I think she might be like 10 years older than him. She's, yeah. And she's, you can tell it's really quite tragic, but she's the type of woman who's like, I don't want to be with anyone else because I'm getting on and I want to have a family yeah. and I want to settle down and I want to have like a life and I don't want to start over. So I'd rather start with someone like Elliot and make him better then start on my own. So there's a real awkwardness to that relationship and it slowly deteriorates throughout the whole documentary. But Elliot himself, yeah, he is a man, he's a man child in, in, mm. in the most, like he, yeah. he has no real concept of looking after the house. He's a complete layabout. He'll like do this, there's this whole weird thing where like he starts eating like chocolate or something and the camera's on him and he's like, I'm not supposed to eat it. And then when Linda asks, oh, "What are you? Oh, what are you cheese? Yeah, what are you? Do, <laughs> yeah. What are you do, doing?" And she's, yeah. she's just like, "Oh, I'm not doing anything." It's just like, "What are you? Five? Like you can, you're this, a grown man. You can eat what you want." Iceberg-sized block of cheese, <laughs> and he's chipping away, and she doesn't allow it. But I'm, I'm assuming she buys the shopping because she's the breadwinner. But anyway, uh, and then yeah, he comes up to her and she's like, "Don't bring your cheesy fingers around me." <laughs> Another great like like the, yeah. the, the, the lack but of like surely shouldn't he be chopping that cheese with his own hand? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, don't bother with the he... knife. <laughs> Shall we talk about uh there's quite a lot of scenes of quite a few golden scenes of Elliot in action as yeah. a sort of actor director. Mm-hmm. So you get you get the sense that he has like um, obviously he's doing this in his spare time uh, on weekends and stuff, and he must get like permission from the local authority or something to, yeah. to film on bits. One bit is just in a park. Yeah, it's in a park. And his his mate Blake. Blake's and Blake okay. is Blake is a, a quite a big heavy set guy. Got like big this, like, guy. Leather trilby on. And for some reason, it's in a park. It's in a park, it's in a park yeah. but it's got a uh, Asian girl on a bench. No, no, not a bench. It's like a, a chalange in the middle of a park. Oh, is it? <laughs> okay, I hadn't picked up on that. Yeah. And she looks like completely, like completely. You know that whole thing about they say about acting is part of acting is reacting. Like mm. she is like the uh, doing nothing. She's just sitting there as if she's waiting for a bus. Blake yeah, as, yeah. as the villain of Mob Boss Mark. Blake has got his arm around her with a gun pointed to his head. Yeah. And he says something like, you know, you didn't think I'd come alone, did you? And then Elliot, and it's just, it's just this like Alan Partridge thing where Alan, like he gets a little modicum of power and he just mm. wants to be 30, even though he doesn't know why, even though he doesn't know how. And he mm. just kind of goes, cut. Blake, deeper, louder. Sharon, you were excellent. And it was like Sharon did yeah. Jack all in that scene. You can't call her accident. Yeah, well, it's obvious why he likes her. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> the, the two, yeah, and they, they do it again. It's exactly the same. There's the, I mean, you can't really change monotone, so the, the, there's, there's no difference. <laughs> um, and it's take two, and he just goes, rap, good. 
there's one point where they're filming in is it a sand pit no it's like a little mini beach next to this lake uh, and it's meant to be this like final fight scene where they like have these katanas which are really tiny that's one thing the yeah he gets yeah. are all really tiny they're like kids yeah, yeah. props and um yeah he has this like fight scene with mob boss mark um, on yeah so you see i'm not not a sand pit i don't know i don't know why i thought it was on like they were in like a basically a children's <laughs> playground <laughs> and they'd ask the kids so do you mind giving us 10 minutes would you not just go on like the the uh the magic roundabout over there while we um, but it felt like that because it seemed quite contained but anyway yeah, so they're on this beach and yeah you're right these tiny little toy swords things that they're, they're doing um and oh there's weird bits where like they're just running at the camera yeah. To try and get a shot where they're just ah, they're just running the length of the sand pit <laughs> into the camera. Uh, at one point, I think they're filming Big Blake, and he's on his knees or he's collapsed in the scene or something like that. And uh, Elliot shouts, "Cut!" and he says, "I liked it, but I didn't want to take it to bed with me." <laughs> but also, also like that's not what a director says. Like I'm not a director. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you don't just go. Eh, it was okay, but I need more. Like, you give something a bit more tangible than that. Like, even the director in Staying Alive had more detail to give. I need the heat. <laughs> I need the fire. <laughs> like, you know, like, there was a bit more detail then. Oh, I, I, did, I didn't want to take it to bed with me. So it was pretty rubbish then. Yeah, that's, um, that's so vague. If Sheena was in it, he'd probably want to take it to bed with him. Yeah, I mean, he definitely does. He's, he's obsessed. Well, one of the things I love is when he's talking about, like, he talks about his dreams. I think, you know, it's not one of the documentaries where you hear the documentary Pete producers, directors speak. To no, him. not a lot. No. So you just hear him responding. So you can guess there might have been a question thrown at him or something. He says something like, he says something like, I mean, I'm okay with being a, uh, a, a cult <laughs> icon. I'm okay with that. Um, and then there's another bit where he goes something like, oh, you know, uh, like, like guys, like I want my, I'm okay with my movies, like a bunch of guys getting oh. in my movies. Saying yeah. like, oh, let's watch it. There were some really cool fight scenes in there. Elio looked really cool. And then he pauses for this long time where you can tell he's half imagining this scenario. Mm. And then he and then he goes, and then he goes, oh, uh, and or oh, I don't mind a bunch of girls going round going, hey, you that new Elliot movie is out? Like he has his top off in there. There's some real nice sex appeal there. Let's uh, let's go get people round and make some cupcakes. Let's get some cupcakes. <laughs> yes. It's just like yeah. what world are these women living in? This kind of yeah. like 1950s pinup world that you've kind of created for them. Yeah, like, cupcakes. No, and... no, no women, no women in, in the world go, oh, like this has got some real nice sex appeal. So let's all watch this with cupcakes. Like, mm. this, what is that? It's just so delusional. It's like maddening. And it's kind of like a bit of a victory, like a third of the way through the movie when Linda's like, you need to get a job. So he starts enrolling in a course for um acupuncture oh yeah yeah he does yeah he goes to and obviously these i mean i'm not sure acupuncture i, I buy into i mean maybe it works maybe it doesn't i don't know but anyway the the, the college kiri 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 yeah he should meet up with her actually i don't know what his, his end game with the whole acupuncture course is going to be because i can't imagine that in the middle yeah. of nova scotia there's going to be that much business <laughs> being an acupuncturist. Yeah, yeah um but yeah he kind of he kind of has this weird like thing and and 
I suppose it's a good point. So he heads off to China. So like uh, part as part of its cause, apparently. And it's a good kind of point to like explain some of the dynamics in this in this thing where like Elliot apparently um, nearly died when he was a kid. He had a tree fall on him and he said that he was in a coma and then he came out of the coma. And so he thought that was like, you know, he kind of takes that as a real moment of victory for him. He talks about how he had this like first wife who was who died and he's kind of was heartbroken by that. Mm. Um, and all the while like Linda is like really egging him on to propose to her and like marry her and, and stuff like that. And so he goes off to China. At one point uh, she says, uh, they talk, they, there's quite a lot of these little awkward conversations about marriage and uh, like, when are you gonna set a date type thing and all of these like awkward bits. And uh, Linda says, well, it'd be nice to be asked first. And Elliot does this like smug little, just dweeby smile and says, there's been askages. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, askages. What I hate is also there's like three quarters of the way through the movie. They ask him. It's one of the few times that the director's asking. You can tell that the producers and directors are getting frustrated with him as the mm. thing goes on. And there's this point where they ask him and they're like, oh, you know, do you think Linda wants to get married? And he's just like, no, I don't think she wants to get married. I don't think women really buy into that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's he like, does. what, what, where have you come from that? Because every point in this movie, she has wanted you to ma- ask her to marry. You yeah, know, like, yeah, like yeah. literally every point. But he goes off to China, and like, I think the implication is he's going to buy her a jade ring from China, which is fine. He kind of goes into, you know, he kind of goes to these different things. And this is when it starts to unravel, like, his sense of, like... Because up until this point, you're like, yeah, he's a bit egotistical, and yeah, he's got this really crazy idea, and his movies look awful. But you you kind of believe that, yes, he might be really good at Kung Fu, and he might be really good mm. at, like, everything he said up until this point is good and true. But he kind of starts... So one of the things, he goes to a Shaolin temple and <laughs> faces off against a Shaolin monk who completely shows that Elliot has no ability to kick, to punch, to stand in any right way. Like he goes, he's, the Shaolin monk just goes, kick me to Elliot. Elliot does this really haphazard kick and the Shaolin monk like puts him in the position, goes, do you want to fall down? And it's like, no. And he just tips, tips yeah. Elliot over. One of the big set pieces of the documentary. And for reasons, one, because it's supposed to be like Elliot's, for want of a better phrase, back to the motherland isn't he yeah. like he's back this is where he belongs he's obsessed so so-called obsessed with chinese culture he's back in the motherland um he's doing his study and but the real benefit of the whole trip is that he can go to this shaolin temple and get um get, you know do a bit of karate training one thing i really like about this scene as well is that it cuts away because the whole thing is basically him and and his mates mm. So yeah, that you're not really gonna get. I mean, Linda gives as good as she gets, I guess, but you, you don't get a lot of critique or casting of doubt or whatever. But in the China scene, because he goes away with um, like this acupuncture class, mm-hmm. the documentary interviews other people, his other classmates, yeah. and they're quite like scathing about him. Mm-hmm. From what I remember, like it cuts to them in just like a hotel room talking about Elliot, and they start to blow him up. They're like, oh, he's always talking about his karate, but we've never seen any evidence of it. 
uh, they let slip that while he's on this Chinese trip, he's had like, doesn't he order a masseuse to the room? He is a masseuse, but it's very heavily implied that she's a prostitute or hey, someone yeah. he speaks with. And there's this there's this scene where he's like literally sitting on his bed, completely naked, apart from these really tight red pants. Ugh. And he starts yeah. talking about how she was getting these muscles here and there and everywhere. Yeah, and yeah. He, he's like, he's like, like kind of shimmering in his own sweat as well. And you can just like, yeah, yeah. It's it's and and so this is when you start to recognise it's a bit, you know, he's a bit unsure. He comes back from from China, shows Linda literally all of his like tut that he's bought <laughs> from from these different stores. Like, oh, this is my suit. Oh, and this is your wedding dress. This is another suit for me. Oh, this is some bracelets that I've got. You know, and like, a lot of it's for him. And then she's like, oh, did you get any? And Linda's just there hoping that he's going to pull out a ring. She's just like, the oh, ring, so, yeah. did you get anything? And he's just like. Oh yeah, so I went to the Jade store and uh, the ring was about a thousand dollars. So uh, yeah, you're not going to get a ring, and just and just leaves it like that. And uh, and Linda, you like there. gravel though? That's, that's your, <laughs> isn't that your birth gemstone? Gravel? You like quartz? <laughs> so, Did you um, know that quartz is the third best? <laughs> Like so, he ends up like putting Blood Fight on hold all of a sudden, like because of <laughs> all these production issues, and he starts filming his his fourth movie called International Hero, um, and there's oh, a brilliant right, scene okay. where he get, he gets Linda to play a cop, but he <laughs> only uses this is such a hilarious scene. He uses like random bits of furniture and like occupies a corner of their bedroom to look like a police office, and he's like <laughs> the, the desk, the desk is like. <laughs> It's like three feet high. It's like the tiniest thing. It's like something a toddler would use. And she's sitting behind him. Oh. She's absolutely huge compared to this tiny oh. desk. And she's just, she's not having it. And it just starts to become more and more obvious that she's getting more and more tired of him. She ends up revealing to the camera. And in this similar way of like what we were saying about like just deadpan just reveals this like big shocker of a story. She reveals to the camera that He's basically like all the stuff that he's told you about, like his dead, his dead fiance, his dead wife, and like him being in a coma weren't true. He was, he was um, apparently like epileptic as a kid or something like that. He has to wear a helmet in school, and like his actual his wife wasn't dead; that she was just in another town. They divorced and she moved away yeah. and stuff like that. And so all of, and like oh he is he is all this like he does he does do all this karate but he's never actually been registered anywhere and so it starts mm -hmm. to realize hmm, what's going on here and then we get like blake being involved with this a bit more and blake starts being told that he's like being brought in to do these movies with elliot do you remember this uh yeah there's is it something like because i thought this scene was quite confusing towards the end like the whole unraveling of the truth was 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 good, but some bits were quite thick and fast. Is he? Because yeah, you said international hero. I've also got noted down, and I don't know if this is another project or whether I've just made this up. I've got Ouija board from hell. No, so this is the movie. So this is this is so this is okay. Yeah, right. So Blake is being asked to pull in, pull, like to help him on other movie projects, but it's it's hmm. very apparent. And like it's very heavily implied that Elliot is now using is basically filming himself having sex with prostitutes, making pornography yeah. with prostitutes. 
one scene in particular catches my eye where it's just like a montage of these like clips from his movies of like women women getting naked and stuff like that and it's like a, a kind of crime like a murder mystery thing where Blake plays the serial killer he's been brought <laughs> on to validate the fact that Elliot is allowed to make these porn movies yeah yeah and um but one in thing Blake's in house isn't it in, yeah. in Blake's house yeah, yeah. And one of these scenes is like Elliot and and the, this woman like naked Elliot leaning over the woman and you can't blink and you miss it but Elliot's wearing a bright pink thong. <laughs> it's, it's never explained. No, I didn't. See, I didn't spot that. But he's got like this bright pink thong on, and it's never explains that's what it is. And Elliot's been making all these like so he's kind of like stopped to unravel and just started making these movies and like sleeping with prostitutes as a kind of excuse to make these movies. And then I suppose that also links to the other scene, the one of the final scenes in Blood Fight where he's like doing this fight with a with a woman oh my god on a pool table yeah so what happens there again i can't really remember the the filming uh yeah final seat uh, i don't know why it's they've got filming permission in a bar i'm assuming and he's got uh what another one of his like volunteer army to come in she's like a it's like a, a big girl big buxom girl and uh she she's a villain of she's basically catwoman yeah. Um, so she comes in in normal dress for filming, and he's got something a bit more kinky, special in mind. He's only gone and brought a leather outfit. I think leather is generous. I think it's leatherette. Let yeah, knowing they'd be yeah leatherette. Um, leather look. <laughs> leather yeah, leather look, and she's he asks her to go and change. And doesn't he say like you might need to no bra, no underwear because it's quite it's this is going to be really skimpy. It's quite tight. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, she she goes in and changes. He naturally goes in and has a look because she doesn't want to come out in front of everyone at first. So he goes in. This is another one of our classic. Didn't realize the mic was still on moments, mm. and he just talks about wanting to like uh, like whip it off and shag it and whatever like that in the bathroom, and. So immediately we're like, oh, okay, this guy's really seedy. He's, he's probably cheating left, right and centre on Linda. Um, but that's, in, in some ways, though, that was the most secretive. That's not the most damning. Probably the most damning bit is where the, she actually comes out, this girl. And they're having, like, a fight on a pool table. She's oh, but got it's not. But it's yep. not, it's definitely not a fight. Well, there's this really awkward thing where she's, like, almost, like, pinned him to the pool table. And he's, yeah. like, trying to push her off. But then you can see his hand awkwardly manoeuvre around so it can cup her breast. And like, yeah, and it's just like, yeah. you know, it, it's so obvious and it's so uncomfortable. And it's always, it, it's cut and interspersed with Linda being like this, like just getting on with her day, like we're talking about, like just, she's like washing up or something. And you can just feel yeah, like- and it cuts back to the- And yeah, it's just quite tragic yeah. that you realise that she's really being messed around with. And at one the, point he says, uh, she says, uh, it's you no, know, he says she's on top of him doing all of this, basically full play disguised as, as cinema. But she's uh, she says, he says, you're not going to hurt me, because remember all the while she's got like this a genuine smash yeah. bottle over his yeah. eyeball. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So so he's like, no, you're not going to hurt me, because I'm wearing a cup. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> yes. So he's more bothered about never mind, sort of like losing vision. If she slips in the bottle, you know, jabs his eye out. He's more bothered that, like, he's not his, getting his, 
Precious balls again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This this big girl. No, 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 no. You, you, you can rub up against me even more. It's fine. I've got a cut. It's fine. I'm not going to get hurt. Like, yeah. oh, he's so repulsive. Um, um, I suppose this kind of brings us to the, the probably the most shocking part of the documentary, and a documentary that is already quite mm. shocking. Um, do you want to take it away? Uh, yeah okay so at one point linda goes away oh that was it she goes this this is what i remember specifically she goes away on a girl scouts weekend away like a retreat type thing i imagine yeah Yeah. this is a free pass for elliot obviously uh he's got a few parties in mind at one point he's on the phone i'm assuming to blake and he's listing his parties he's got like yeah well you've got that I've, I've written it down. Somebody goes like, "Oh well, we've got the we've got the Hoose party." Oh, I, I should say here because he's he is very Canadian, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's very Canadian. So Thick it's accent. Hoose party and it's outfit. Outfit. I've got loads of I've got really cool outfits. Um, so he goes to he's got a Hoose party. He's got a fetish party. At one point, you he's got a tranny party. Uh, his words, tranny party. But what he says, what he says, yeah, but he makes it sound like Blake wants to go, but he's the only one speaking about it. Yeah, he does. He goes like, well, you know, Blake's into that sort of thing. Well, yeah, he's just like, Blake, well, if you want to go, Blake, I want to go. Oh, fine, Blake, we'll go. And Blake's like, no, no, I'm really fine not going to this party. (laughs) I don't want to go. And so they rock up and it's in what looks like the sort of like the back of like a retail park where probably like the, the lorries come to refill stock and things like that. It's just this weird, yeah. it looks like they're going to like the back of a shop or something like that, but it's yeah. not, it's this, it's this weird fetish party. And I think the first shot, once they're inside, the first shot is you just get the, the arse end of this girl. <laughs> and she's again, another whopper. And it, she's got the exact figure of Danny DeVito in Batman Returns. Oh, you're, that's so mean. <laughs> well, no, no, honestly, you remember he wears that, like, all-in-one, the, the penguin no, wears, I know. wears she's, that all-in-one. She's, she's a very big girl, and she's completely naked. She's whipping someone. And the thing that... Look, the thing that she's yeah. whipping someone. Yeah. This, there's, a few, there's a few things about this. So the first thing is, this apartment is filthy. I'm sorry, I don't care what kind of oh, fetish party you're happening. You're making that place clean. There's like clothing piled everywhere, <laughs> magazines, like the TV's on in the background. They've got their washing out, like like hanging on an era. Mm, it's, it's not it's not the sexy place that you imagine if you're going to a sex party. Um and Elliot is like everyone's wearing quite casual stuff, and Elliot's wearing like a tux. And to... <laughs> like, yeah, very much like the room sort of unnecessary white tie dress code it's all just like trying to be this like 50 shades of gray type thing that mm, is just yeah. it's just awful and he's and he's so he's doing like he's like and there's this very big woman who's like whipping this very very thin petite girl who's also yeah naked. like a sort of emo type girl yeah emo type girl and i mean i'm like i'm not an expert on snm stuff but from I, I understand that it's it's still very consensual, even if you're the supplicant, and it's very much like enjoyable to be whipped or whatever if you're the sub within that dynamic. Mm. In this, it's really uncomfortable because the really thin girl who's being the sub doesn't look like she's having a good time. Mm. 
and like he's like pouring hot wax on her and oh, yeah. you can tell that she just doesn't like that or she's being whipped a bit too hard and she's like kind the of bits where like the two girls the thin one and the big one are slapping each other quite you know like quite fiercely yeah in the face yeah. and, and again that's supposed to be like an erotic thing i don't get it. that that whole scene plus a party i mean you'd want a bit of choice you know what i mean <laughs> I, I, there's I only because there's only the two there's the two there's Danny DeVito there's the thin one the emo girl there's Elliot Blake who's got his top off um oh yeah Blake's got his top off yeah is there another guy I think that I think there's another guy Five there's a random that, guy that's... there's a random guy that's there but he's not like that's particularly... not sex party that's not that's a that's a sex box social um if anything that's <laughs> that's uh, best a sex gathering <laughs> um a sex crowd uh if you will no it's yeah. uh it, it's really weird and it's just it's it, i think this is something that we should have said in our drinking game like, i think a lot of documentaries do this where in the final 20 minutes or something mm. something mental happens like something yeah. completely left field that just escalates it and this is something you don't see coming it's like it comes out of absolutely nowhere and and yeah, so then Elliot has goes to this thing, and then it cuts to him being at home chatting with Linda, um, to which she uh, she kind of confronts him by knowing that there's uh, oh yeah she's seen like a a woman a woman on uh, come the nosy neighbour lets yeah. Linda know. Apparently, she's in a wheelchair. This neighbour because Elliot makes something like a well, Elliot makes some like really insightful comments. Like, I don't care if she's dying in that wheelchair. She's effing lying to you. <laughs> like, just <laughs> wow, wow. Oh, God. And, yeah, he does. And he, he, to be honest, this is because throughout the whole documentary, he's basically. I mean, you'd think, although th th there's no evidence, you'd think he was probably like a bit of a dope fiend as well. He's probably using his, you know, he comes across really stoned, really lethargic throughout the whole thing, even when he's supposedly talking about his passions. But this, he does, he does he gets, lose it. He, he does really, lose This it. is he the first around. time you see him resemble anything like, you know, a sort of full-blooded human, really, because yeah. he's furious. But he goes round to the other person's house, tries to break down the door, yeah. saying that they're lying, and then she starts asking him questions about it and he's like oh she she messaged me on facebook saying that i can come like she'll come around and we'll go to a drink it was completely innocent whatever and i like the, I, I can get because i think you get the sense of the director and the team there are now like really frustrated with elliot mm -hmm. and like really not having any nonsense with him and stuff and so they just like very delicately but brilliantly just go well i mean surely elliot you can't just open up Facebook, like Facebook Messenger, and just show Linda, and then you'll then you'll know <laughs> what the conversation's about. And like Linda's like, yeah, that's a great idea. And he's like, and then he he just says nothing. And then she's like, or uh, did they? Did she not message you? And he's like, yeah, no, she she phoned, phoned twice actually. Like trying to be like, I've got the high, I know the specifics <laughs> of this detail because she phoned twice actually. Um, and. It, yeah, again, it goes into this escalating thing where he gets really angry at the. He throws a cup of juice, yeah, the in the direction of the like camera crew, whatever, yeah, because they're interfering. And then there's this again. I don't know how real staged or where we can talk about that in a minute. I think, 
how whatever but there's a bit where like there's a scuffle a presumed scuffle the camera like drops or goes to the yeah. floor or something because mm. it's implied that Elliot's lost his shit and he's now t- taking it out on, on the crew plus wouldn't have this wouldn't it have this been the perfect opportunity for him to do his karate <laughs> yeah exactly but he sounds like he's having a bit of a fit though like he doesn't sound like he's properly fighting it sounds like he's just thrashing about like mm. kind of scuffles over them and then they kind of like get to the thing and it just ends with like they hear the police sirens nearing and they think like oh someone's called the police so let's just get out of here and then they and then like ash was saying like the end of the movie just ends abruptly with these like captions <laughs> of where everyone is um but the reason why i don't think it's um it's a uh, staged documentary is because if you actually google elliot white lightning scott onto youtube get right. he has a there's a youtube channel with videos uploaded back in like 2013 so okay. if this director did decide to make this movie and fictionalize it and it's all complete he would have had to have like done something back in 2013 because the movie came out i think about 2016 2017 Mm -hmm. so like he was doing stuff like three or four years before the events of the actual movie and prepping and he could have done that i'm I'm not disputing that but it just seems like a lot of work to have created this fictional biography of character we've reached the end of documentaries and have come away uplifted and informed about the human condition as well as kung fu in canada it's time for our final bit our casting couch well, we'll be working away at Grey Gardens 2, the seance, is that correct, Ash? Yeah, 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 that's the it. The seance. Um, and, and yeah, we've both been taking notes while we've been talking during this. So, uh, as always, Ash, feel free to uh, kick off on Grey Gardens 2. So I think we've definitely, in terms of storyboarding, we've got all our key things, I think. Uh, like we chatted just before, I think there's definitely the most haunted angle. I definitely want it to the maybe the first, maybe that's sort of mid to second half. First half, I'd like to be uh, changing rooms. I'd like Llewellyn Bowen to come in uh, and basically uh, retransform or degenerate the house back into what it was uh, before the seance happens. Uh, but I think. Like all documentaries, uh, especially sequels and stuff like that, always good to have a hunt. Uh, maybe tr- try and track down mm. some of the original players, see what they're up to nowadays type thing. Well, so who was that guy in the first Grey Gardens? Yeah, it, it, his name was Jimmy. So he was some sort yeah. of like a handyman or, well, I say that, that was the minimum he did. But he was obviously <laughs> to these two lonely old women. Uh, yeah. he was something of uh, like a companion like a friend yeah. um, there's that great scene where little Edie tries to imply that she's not going to give him what he's looking for as though he is looking to slip between <laughs> the uh, the sheets with little Edie and slip off the yeah, head slip between her great gardens <laughs> oh, oh god they would need much pruning. Um, the I mean, no, not if the uh, curtains and drapes uh, analogy works. <laughs> what, what do you think? It's just like a taffeta headscarf down there. <laughs> just, just a, a, a roped handkerchief. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is this is disturbing us going into this much detail. Um, on your scale with like Nomi from Showgirls, um, Julia Roberts from Little Women, where is <laughs> Little Edie? It's Julia, but but not as obviously not Julia Roberts as no 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 like <laughs> Pygmalion transformed. I like her, the street worker. Yeah. Um, where 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 is Little Edie on that? Um, definitely below Wendy from The Shining. <laughs> Probably somewhere, maybe between somewhere, probably just the notch above Mrs. Voorhees from the original Your Friday the Thirteenth. Taste 13th. in women is 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 frankly scary. <laughs> <laughs> Zelda's the bottom, as you I'm know. Genuinely, I'm terrified about your taste in women. So yeah, Jimmy. I okay, think open up. Well, so in the in down, the real Jimmy. world, he turns out to be a so that'll be so... in the real world. Yeah, they tracked him down. He was just like was driving a cab around New York. That's how they found him. It was like randomly someone had like oh, pinned right. him okay. in the, uh, the thing. So maybe we can tie it to that. Maybe he kind of goes on a uh, Robert De Niro style taxi driver, mm. Joker style type. <laughs> yeah, okay. Maybe, uh, yeah, okay. So that's that's what's happened to Jimmy. Maybe he's got that sort of like, um, of course, his super villain name would be the Marble Fawn. Which is what Marble Form, yes. Calls him. That's his DC <laughs> name, I think. That's with the Marble, Marble Form. No, the Marble Form versus um, versus <laughs> Heron Man, I think, is a match made in heaven. <laughs> there you are. They, 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 they are Nemesi, as we know. <laughs> uh, the Marble Form and Nemesis. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, I like that. Track down Jimmy, and maybe like all documentaries, um, they've got to have like a dark heart, a dark twist somewhere. Yeah, maybe he's really gone down the pan, Jimmy. Mm -hmm. uh, so really dark character. A lot of those weird interviews between uh, what, what was it when the latch is still on. Lots of that trying to track him down. Maybe he's the one who wants to get in touch with the Edies. Maybe he's the one who suggests. Yeah. You know, we, we need to go back and we need to contact the supernatural type thing. Um, because they know I they know where the where the lost gold is. The lost gold of <laughs> Grey Gardens. Yeah, that's that's the uh, okay. Yeah, that's the, thing. the mythic. Um, yeah, the lost gold of the lost gold of Grey Gardens. Yeah. Mm. Um, so they so Jimmy needs that. I don't know money, further his career, whatever. Uh, so yeah, he he wants to do that. But in order to prepare the scene, ghosts, like my theory goes, like to return to somewhere <laughs> they feel. I have no evidence to back this up whatsoever, that they like to return to like the familiar, um, like the ghosts of the Titanic, say, would like to go back to the ship as it was. Oh, oh yeah, those well-known uh, like ghosts. Like at the end of the... Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Llewellyn Bowen comes in, the chair, and Carol Smiley, and obviously, Carol Smiley. comes in as to redo the house. Because since, as we know, uh, as we've mentioned, it was taken over by, I don't know, some Washington Post editor or whatever, um, and redone and made really fancy and nice and uh, went for a big price. So we need we need to take it back. Mm. We, we, we don't want all of, like, the gilt furniture and, and the big fancy uh vases mm. or whatever they've got we want to take it back bring the raccoons back so there'll probably be some imagery of maybe us 
maybe the documentary make a sort of import in raccoons maybe get andy king to actually do us a favor <laughs> take one for the team for the uh for the raccoon take one for the team we know that the like pest control usa <laughs> are a bit suspicious about these bulgarian raccoons coming back into the country yeah, andy king gets it sorted uh, there's been a big hold up of customs uh paperwork is arrived <laughs> and uh we call andy obviously uh, who, who I, I'm getting a sense. This is like this is this is less of a retrospective documentary. It's more of like the Kung Fu Elliot style, which is like let's go. They've got a start point. We've got an end point. We've got a destination in mind as a documentary. So I feel like within this, we've got mm. this story that's going with with the um, and it's just like oh something's happening. Who do we call? We call Lawrence Doyle and Bowen in to do the to do the house makeover. Oh, the raccoons are being held up. Who do we call in? We get Andy King. So, so the the, the people yeah, behind exactly. this, it's almost like, yeah, like like a sort of like an A team approach to it. So you've got your core documentary crew, uh, who are basically maybe the, like we say, are making a documentary about Jimmy. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's how it started. I mean, at the end of the day, Grey Gardens was obviously a documentary not intended to be about the two Eds. Yeah. So maybe this is follows a similar thing. It's this is about Jimmy and is post Grey Gardens sort of sad little life. But then we end up obviously returning to like the, the home ground, home turf. Um, so Llewellyn Bowen comes in once we've got the raccoons and Andy King sort of uh, Helps out there. Goes, and, goes and pulls a favour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> ignore that. So the raccoons <laughs> come, you have to whip out all the furniture. What, what other sort of, I'm trying to think what, what, what Llewellyn, Llewellyn Bowen likes. He likes stencils, he likes, uh, he likes artwork, doesn't he? Like homemade yeah, artwork. Yeah, homemade artwork. Like one of his, yeah, one, yeah. Of, one of one of uh, Bowen's go-to moves was always printing out images on a 1990s <laughs> printer and then putting <laughs> yeah. that on the wall. Uh, because we know that the quality yeah. of a printout from a 1990s at-home PC printer was so high class. Um, so yeah, no, see, I'm also thinking yeah. that within this, within this kind of process, I like the idea of it being like, maybe it starts out like, but, you know, a lot of these documentaries start out by these guys just discovering something and like they get into a taxi mm -hmm. cab, they discover, you know, uh, the marble form, um, as, as it was, yeah. and they, they follow him through and they're, they're, and then Jimmy mentions that, you know, oh, like there's a, you know, ED mentioned to me a few times that there was this like hidden gold on the, mm. on the Grey Gardens thing. And everyone's like, well, is this true? Like, is she just insane? And so they try to go through and then maybe it, it gets to the stage where they kind of go through the house and they're wanting to look through. Maybe they're trying to recreate it to see if there's any hidden panels, like recreate it as it was with Lawrence. Uh, yes. Yeah. See if there's any like, oh, maybe that's, this indicates it. And then they realise that they need to bring in the big guns, which is Derek Akora, um, to And oh, who was the woman with him? Oh, I don't know. I uh, only know Derek Akora. I think she was Liverpoolian as well. Is Derek Akora um, Liverpoolian? <laughs> or was Liverpoolian? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> Um, oh god, she oh, I forgot her name. It's hardly John but Lennon, she, is it? She was, <laughs> yeah, the fifth Beal. What I would like to do as well, yeah, because part of it I think should be maybe an appreciation of the original because it yeah. is such a we're not just talking about any documentary here, we're talking like a, a big landmark piece. Maybe get interviews with people who were fans of the original, yeah. We're gonna get Jinx Monsoon dressed as Little Eden, yeah. Is in... that the RuPaul? 
yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's we'll definitely in. in. She's definitely in there. Um, she's loving it. She's having a great time. Um, so she can do lots of good impressions. We maybe even use her at the seance table when it comes, you know, where they all sit around. And, and little Edie stands. possesses Jinx Monsoon. Yeah, like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's what I'm thinking, because a, a good documentary leaves ambiguity, so it could just be Jinx being like... Oh, yeah, so it could be she's just, I don't know, you know, getting carried away with herself, it's good for a career or whatever, and she's, yeah, just, she's not channeling the lady, she's just... But you don't know, you don't on. know, that's... But you don't know, yeah, yeah I that's like the ambiguity, that, yeah. so that's you've got good. some people like Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen going like, no definitely like was just faking it and then you got Derek Accor was like no I've, I know mm. my paranormal experiences and this was yeah so so that could be quite good in, in documentary tension terms because it could be like you know you're expecting this to just be like lightning quick Derek comes mm. in all of a sudden he's speaking in tongues or as the little EDs or whatever but maybe it's just the muse or whatever it is is taking its time so there's like tension about like is he going to yeah. fulfill his, you know, is this going to work or whatever? Maybe Jimmy gets upset with Derek. Maybe him and Derek have, have some, some sort of uh, crosswords, maybe. Oh, yeah, because I think Jimmy's going to disagree with that. You don't know what's going on. Jimmy doesn't believe in all that stuff. So there's a, there's a kind of conflict yeah. there, I reckon. Um, but then I think he's I think he's freaked out when Jinx Monsoon is possessed by Little Edie. Um, Jimmy Because is. I think there's a sense of like, oh, my God, like Little Edie is... Is actually here, like he he kind of sees her there, and that's what that's what maybe changes his mind in terms mm. of the suspicion. Maybe maybe like Jinx says something about a location on Grey Gardens, and and like everyone's going the die the producers and everything are going to Jimmy, going oh does that does that mean anything? Did that mean like what you're doing? And he's like no mm. no no, it, it actually you know it didn't, it totally didn't. And then oh I've got it I've got it okay, and then. So it's like the the kind of and like after you know when like it kind of peters out and it's almost like like you were saying in the thing where like there's just the story doesn't go anywhere and there's that last like you know they, they don't know what's going on with the story. Mm, so despair. The despair bit, yeah. So um, you've got like you know the die of thinking like you know oh this is going nowhere never, we're not going to find the lost treasure of Grey Gardens or whatever, and um, and then they notice that like Jimmy is gone. And they like follow Jimmy, but like from afar, and like mm. so it, it, and it's like he talk like whatever like Edie's talking about the tree that looks like the letter H or something, like little Edie um in the mm. body of Jinx Monsoon. He's like going there, and he they see a tree that looks like the letter H, and they're like, oh god, that's it. And then he goes around, and there's like in insert inserted into the tree, like in one of those holes that tree have trees sometimes have. There's like a marble form Ooh. and like they they end up they they can't they can't show him but he's got his mic still on classic another move still forgot to take his mic yeah, off yeah yeah forgot to take his mic and yeah. you get the impression but you don't see anything because they're too far away they can't get any visual but you hear like him opening a box and something and like going, oh my god what's it oh my god and then like it's but then when they go that's it so when that so then they hear like him jimmy collect something and open something but you don't know what he found you just know that he's found something and then they they go to the scene after jimmy's cleared away and all they find is this marble form that's like left over mm. the implication being that jimmy yeah, has like found the lost treasure of great gardens from... and has done a runner oh uh, okay so the spirit guides him 
and him alone to this thing. And then he just completely, he, he just runs off with it. Yeah, but I think there's going to be like between the spirit and between him like finding the treasure or what you think is the treasure, yeah. like there's going to be some other stuff that goes on. But I think the implication is, is that, you know, it kind of lends some credence to the supernatural thing, but it might not, like could just be a coincidence. Like it, it kind of is is showing Jimmy is like just doing a runner with all this gold. He does, he, you know, he's he's been trying to tr mm. track it down a bit. And then you've got, You've, but like in between, I reckon there's going to be a bit of a conflict between Lo uh, um, Llewellyn Bowen and Derek Cora. I reckon there's going to be uh, some, of course some fisticuffs. I don't think they'd get along. No, I, I reckon um, yeah, L L L they wouldn't. Uh, Llewellyn Bowen is a bit of a sort of dandy type figure. Derek is is just always dressed in black. Maybe <laughs> maybe Bowen starts to try and give him like fashion tips or something. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah threatens him with one of his staple staples. Maybe a raccoon pisses on Derek Akora's clothes, and they think, and he he's <laughs> yeah. convinced that it's a a judgment, but it's something that um, Llewellyn Bowen has actually orchestrated against him. Or or just. Llewellyn Bowen's pissed on his yeah, jacket. Yeah, and Llewellyn's just going, no, it was the raccoon, and that's where the conflict happens. Because <laughs> yeah. when I piss, I piss in arabesques. <laughs> um, I think, okay, in terms of, obviously, the stars of of the, or, you know, obviously, it's, it's still a homage to the EDs. Will the EDs have changed over time, you know, after they've been in the supernatural realm? Are they going to be any less sort of weird or are they have just gone even more batty? Well, I mean, there's two things to this. So the first thing is, is if you know Derek Okora, like when he did Michael Jackson's seance, like he suddenly... No. No. You didn't hear Michael Jackson. Oh, no. no. Did he actually do an episode on that? I don't know whether it was an episode, but they did this whole thing on Sky One of Michael Jackson oh. sale. But like, he sounded like a grizzled old gangster when he did it. <laughs> like his possessed voice of Michael Jackson. Oh. Like Michael Jackson, well known for the the, the, the high lilt in his voice. Like Derek Accord was like, oh yeah. Tell <laughs> <laughs> what was he was saying? He was, just, he was just like saying, like I can't remember what he was talking about, but he was like talking about, like, um, he was like, is it Tito? Tito is one of the brothers. What is one of the Jackson Five? Yeah, one of yes. the Jackson Five. He's like, tell Tito, tell Tito, I really like him. I love him so much as a brother. It's like, not like I, I, I it, it's, it's one of the most surreal things, Derek Accor. <laughs> I have never, I have never seen this, but I am itching to yeah, watch this now. I would, I would like just to take a moment to say that we deeply love all the people that we're taking the mick out here, and uh, and especially with with Grey Gardens, this is done with the utmost love oh, yeah. and uh, respect for for them. Even if it doesn't, even if we're just taking the mick out of them, it is very much a uh, a loving send up of their characters and that's a wrap now next week is another shift in tone uh, we've got a whole episode on just one of our icons uh even more it's not just us but wait and see we've got a surprise uh, guest joining us 
for the next episode um and we'll be bringing in their expertise onto the frantic mac manic behavior that is nicholas cage um ash is there anything you want to add to uh, what people can expect for the next episode no well i think the nicholas cage mention should be summoning up a whole range of things i think we're gonna divvy it up by three yeah. films each maybe maybe a film each um and i think really try and get to the heart of what what is it nouveau shamanistic acting really is yeah 100 um i cannot wait for it and uh, yeah i hope you are the same and um, before we go please don't forget to keep on listening uh you know we hope people out there are enjoying it and uh, anyone who's liking starts to spot all the stupid stuff and inconsistencies that we're doing please call us out on that we love it um but hopefully you found a way to to find entertaining movies your side and reasons to love these movies that otherwise have no reason to be loved um goes without saying we're on castbox spotify twitter it's full of uh, all the, the crazy updates that we could think of thanks to ash and uh yeah, uh, hope you enjoy it. Uh, until next time, we'll catch you then.